0: Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. In the last podcast, we looked at the first demonic challenge to the authority of Jesus. And this week, I'm going to zoom way in on that challenge. We're going to see what was really happening in jesus day and how it informs us about the demonic activity in our culture today this has been a well-received message by some and a much hated message by others and i hope it'll be a blessing to you I'm just thrilled that you guys are here. This today is a little different. We're still studying the life of Jesus in the book of Mark, but I've taken this one little section, this one encounter, the first encounter that Jesus has with a demon, and we're kind of breaking it up and we're zooming in tight on it. Last week, I kind of did the foundational message, uh, part one of this little thing that I'm doing, and it's really foundational. If you missed last week, week's message, I got to tell you, you need to go back and get that one because it really, really helps this one today make a little more sense. Uh, and I think it was actually a pretty good message last week, if I must say so. Uh, it was actually okay. Um, Mark is in the process of showing, not telling, right? He's, he's letting the reader discover who Jesus really is by showing, not just telling, He's letting Jesus' life and what he does speak for himself. And by the time Jesus arrives in chapter 1 in Capernaum with his newly chosen disciples, it's clear that Jesus has shown up with an unbelievable divine level of authority. Right? We talked a little bit about it last week. Jesus shows up with exousia. I want you to say it with me. He shows up with exousia. Say exousia. 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 Good. So that's the Greek word for authority. It doesn't just mean that he's got a job title. It means that he is speaking literally exousia, out of experience. So all the other scribes and Pharisees would come, and they would teach from um, you know, academic perspective. They've learned a lot about the law and they would read and they would analyze the law. They would talk in a very professorial sense about something that they were learning on. But Jesus taught in a different way. He taught out of the experience of being God himself. He taught with authority, exousia, and it astonished everybody. It rocked their worlds, man, and it really reverberated in such a powerful way that it caused something to happen. Yeah, right there in Mark 1, in that little synagogue in Capernaum, that's when Mark describes the man with an unclean spirit who suddenly, I guess in the middle of Jesus' teaching, just starts screaming at Jesus. And this is what we're gonna look at today. Again, here's what he says in Mark 1:24. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We looked at this last week and we talked about this, that demons challenge. The authority of Jesus, because demons hate Jesus, right? So we talked about that a lot last week, and we're seeing we're seeing a demon challenge the authority of Jesus. Now we will see Jesus, and we will see other uh, encounters with demons through the story, and uh, they're all going to more or less end the same way. It may just be one on one. Jesus is uh, you know versus demon. Or it may be one on several or many, but it always ends the same way. Jesus exerts his exousia. And when he speaks, what does the demon do? Runs. The demon's got to go, right? Happens every, every time. But I want us today to zoom in and really unpack what's actually happening here in this short little encounter. So let's look at the question that comes along with this challenge. The demon asks Jesus, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The actual language here is difficult to translate this phrasing into English right here. So ESV translates it this way, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? But there's a deeper kind of implication here. Then the words can convey themselves. If you were writing it down today, you would probably write something like, why are you messing with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The New Living Translation says it this way, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Why are you getting your nose all up in our business? Why are you messing with what we're trying to do? In other words, the demon is implying here that hey, Jesus, this is our world. This is our place. What are you doing here? You you don't belong here. Your humans that you put here, they blew it all the way back in the garden. And we were thrown here, and we have taken over everything because they blew it. We're now in control. We have an agenda. We have a strategy. We have a plan. We have a set of goals our goal is to create chaos to bring destruction to to so warp and pervert everything and to bring so much chaos that your humans can't remember what the garden was like in the first place because if we can get them to forget the garden then they'll worship anything besides you and that's our goal our goal is to get them to worship anything besides you And so far, I think it's going pretty well. So far, we've been doing a good job on this. Why are you interfering with us? So this challenge isn't simply just a, you know, I'm irritated because you're here telling the truth. What he's saying here, what this demon is saying, it's the first blank on your page, is that we own this world. This is not yours, this is ours. And it's not just the dusty fishing villages of Galilee, The demons laid claim to everything in the world. Pagan demon worship was the way of the world before Jesus. It's what almost everybody did. The demon could make this claim right there in that synagogue. He could say, the Romans worship and sacrifice humans to us in the names of their many demon gods. They're really worshiping us. The Germanic tribes, they sacrifice humans to us under their demon god named Odin. The Slavs sacrifice their prisoners and slaves to us under the name of their demon god, Perun. And the Aztecs tear out the beating hearts of their victims as they sacrifice people to their demon god, Huitzilopochtli. Yeah, I practiced that a bunch. I did practice that. I said it right-ish. In fact, the demon could say, you know, Jesus, your own people have sacrificed to us many times in the past. It was such a big deal, they're worshiping us, that your great leader, Moses, even wrote a song about it. Yeah, you, you find that song in Deuteronomy 32. Moses writes, they, the people of God, stirred up his jealousy, by worshiping foreign gods, they provoked his fury with detestable deeds. Listen to me. Pagan worship is always accompanied by detestable deeds. Pagan worship is done through detestable deeds. The way you worship demons is always going to be detestable. He goes on. He says, they offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God. God to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. This demon is able to make the challenge to Jesus' authority, this is our domain. Don't you know that you have just arrived on the planet of the demons? We own this, we rule here, why are you messing with us? And you notice, we talked about it last week, Jesus doesn't engage in conversation. Jesus doesn't lean down and start to negotiate with the demon. He doesn't say, okay, you can have this and we'll just be here. You know, you can just do this as long as you just listen to my teaching once a week. You know, he doesn't negotiate terms. Jesus does nothing but exert his exousia. He just exerts his authority, his exousia with this demon. Look what happens in verse 25. He says, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, came out with a loud voice, came out of the man. Jesus casts out demons. Jesus does not tolerate, does not negotiate, does not equivocate with demons. Jesus casts out demons. He is the exousia, the authority. This is the first of many, demonic encounters we'll see Jesus have as we're studying Mark but this one is a beginning it's the beginning of a conflict that seems to kind of start out small Jesus casting out demons then he goes to this town and he casts out more demons then he goes to this town and he casts out more demons it's a it's a conflict that starts with skirmishes But today we're gonna look and we're gonna fast forward and we're gonna see how this conflict only escalates and it grows and it gets bigger and bigger. Jesus came to this planet ruled by demons, this place where we have been ruled by the demonic realm ever since the garden, ever since we first fell for that first satanic, demonic lie at the very beginning. You know the lie. He shows up, the enemy shows up, and he says, you know, you don't need God. God's been holding out on you. He knows something you don't. And if you just eat the fruit, you'll see as God sees... And you can be your own God. You don't need God anymore. So eat the fruit and become like God. And we fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Just like the demons, we chose the wrong side in this war we chose to align with lucifer the accuser of god instead of remaining loyal to the one who lovingly created us and put us here to represent him we fell for it hook line hook line and sinker and this terrible demonic choice is hardwired into our hearts today we are born with a predisposition to choose wrong To worship demons. That's why we fight. That's why we get jealous. That's why we have pride. That's why we exploit. That's why we cheat, why we lie, why we abuse. It's why we kill, it's why we get addicted. It's why we have anger issues. It's because we are born participating in the demon agenda to destroy the glory of God. We are traitors to our own creator. And because of that, we have earned his anger, his wrath. We were put here to be light in the darkness, but instead we've become destroyers of the light. And we've chosen the darkness. So we deserve hell, not heaven. We've become agents of death, and death is what we should expect. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We have it in us. But thank God there is one exception. Right? There is one exception to this rule. There is one man, God wrapped himself in flesh and came to this planet of the demons to walk in glory, to walk in light, to walk in exousia, right? And so he came here in this authority and because he was a person of such exousia, he never once was subjected to the temptation of the demons. Oh, they tempted him, but he never once fell fell for it. He was never, 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 uh, he never... Bowed his knee to their agenda, and he never participated in the demonic agenda of destroying the glory of God. In fact, it was in him that we saw the glory of God. We wouldn't know anything about the glory of God if it wasn't for Jesus. John tells us in his gospel that the word that's Jesus became flesh or became human and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Thank the Lord. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He came here in glory, in authority. He had exousia over demons rather than being ruled by them like the rest of us so easily are. And he demonstrated his exousia by teaching. We saw that last week. He taught with authority, astonishing authority. He exerted his exousia uh, in his miracles as he healed and touched many. He exerted his exousia by casting out demons. His whole ministry was all about the authority of God being exerted into this planet of the demons. And then the culmination of his exousia. He exerted his authority over sin itself because sin has ravaged all of the human race. The Bible says all are sinners. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, except for him. And he takes his authority to a cross. And on that cross, they nail his hands and feet And it's there that all of the anger, all of the wrath, all of the judgment from God at your sin and my sin was exhausted into Jesus right there on that cross. It was all poured out on him. He took the punishment for our sin. The reason he came here is to murder sin. And he took it out on the cross. It was a murder-suicide. Come on, can I get an amen? He, he, come on, come on, can I get an amen? What is it with this group? <laughs> so it gets even better than that because not only did he kill sin but he had such exousia that three days later he killed death when he walked out of that grave and he lives today and what he does now is he steps into your life, into my life and he exerts his exousia to change us and he steps through us exerting his exousia to change the world around us that's why you're here is so that you can be a disciple a follower of Jesus shining his glorious exousia light into this dark world amen that's what we are here for we have gone from being agents of death to becoming agents of light in a dark world we speak love truth and life where there is currently death That's what this is all about, and that's what happened. That's what happened. The cross and the resurrection, they happened. And then Jesus, Jesus tells him in Matthew, he says, all authority, all exousia in heaven and on earth is given to one person. Who is it? Jesus, Jesus. it's all mine, it's all my authority. Therefore, he says, (laughs) go, go. In other words, he makes this great delegation statement. He says, I've got all authority, so therefore I'm giving it to you. You are stepping out on my authority. You go and you make disciples. This is your job now. This is your exousia now. You take what I'm giving you and you run with it. And you go bring light into the darkness. And that's exactly what happened. They began to take the light into the world around them. It took a while. They were stuck there in Jerusalem with a bunch of just Jewish Christians for a long time, but after a while they began to spread throughout the world and as the gospel spread, as the light spread, I got bad news for you, the conflict only escalated. The demon conflict actually got worse. Why? Because they're spreading the light into the darkness. This infuriates the demons. Jesus was bad enough but now little Jesus people are spreading out all over the place and they're turning the light on and evil thrives in the darkness so this drives them crazy and you can read about some of the stories of this conflict in the book of Acts one of my favorites is when they come to Ephesus it's a Roman city it's a uh, metropolitan city and it is overwhelmed with pagan detestable worship it's overwhelmed you know pagan worship it's about child sacrifice it's about prostitution it's about sexual perversion it's about all the awful nasty horrible gross filthy vulgar everything that's pagan worship and so they go to Ephesus where it's like the epicenter of a lot of this stuff and they all worship this one this one demon goddess there in Ephesus and one of the biggest industries in Ephesus was the idol manufacturing industry. They made carved idols and sold to people to help them worship the evil demon goddess. And so they're in Ephesus and they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. They're shining the light. You need to get saved. You need to get saved. You need to get saved. Everybody needs to get saved. And guess what? People start coming to Christ. They start getting saved. In fact, there is such a movement of Christianity in Ephesus that the idol manufacturing industry begins to shut down because nobody wants idols anymore because they started to worship the one true God instead. This infuriates the demons. So the demons rile up the crowd against the disciples. They want this stopped and they want the freedom to worship the demon gods. And so a crowd gathers, and they began to riot and chant and threaten the lives of the disciples, and they're chanting the names of their demon goddesses over and over and over again. They want to end this Christian story and go back to the way things were. Why are you messing with us? It's a great story. You can read all about it right there in the book of Acts. Whew. And I got to say, I got to say a little timeout. I owe a lot to Jonathan Kahn. He's an author and pastor. And he wrote a book called Return of the Gods. Janet Croft, did you finish the book? You finished? Not finish? No, because it's kind of, yeah. So I read this book. I got to tell you, it's not my kind of book normally, but I read this book, and it was an eye-opening book about this very topic, and a lot of the rest of the sermon I owe to Jonathan Cahn, uh Return of the Gods. I recommend the book. It makes a great, it's super detailed, super deep, but yet it's a great read. It's a page-turner, and it makes a great audio book. If you're an audio book consumer, I am, uh, so it makes a great one. But Jesus has passed his exousia on to his disciples, and they are going about doing what they're called to do and spreading the light. You fast forward down to the 300s, and at that point, Roman Emperor Diocletian is led by a demon-possessed woman who is the Oracle of Delphi. That's her title, the Oracle of Delphi and this demon-possessed woman tells Diocletian, you know, there's been persecutions, state persecutions of Christians all this time, but they kind of come and go, you need to eliminate these guys. You need to wage war against the Christians because they're gonna take over everything. So the demon tells the emperor to wage war, and what does the emperor do? wages war against the Christians. He launches what has become known in history as the Great Persecution. And this is that terrible, terrible time in history. It's the worst persecution of all of the Christian persecutions to date. It's the worst one. This is the time when Diocletian and Nero were threatening Christians, you renounce Jesus or we will throw you in prison and we'll even kill your family and they imprisoned so many Christians, they literally had to let all the regular criminals out of prison so that they could fill them with Christians. They began to kill families of Christians all over the Roman Empire. This is that time when it became sport to kill Christians. They'd throw them in the arenas and let them fight the gladiators. They would even throw the Christians to the lions during that time. This is that time when The emperors would throw big parties in their courtyards with hundreds and hundreds of honored guests at nighttime when there's no electricity. So they would have Christians soaked in oil and they would hang them from trees and they would burn them to be human torches to light their parties. That's the great persecution. That's the demon led great persecution. I don't have time to go into all the history of it, but you don't have to be a great history scholar to know the answer to the question, who won that fight? The Christians did. Think about this. It's the late 300s and the Christians, we have no army, we have no weapons, we have no strategy, We have no military organization. And Rome waged war, a demonic war, against the Christians. And the Christians won. Rome is no longer here. But we are. Praise the Lord. Something happened at this moment. Because the great persecution is historically known to be the final Persecution. There were other small little ones here and there, in other places, but this is known to be the final big persecution of Christians. What happened to Rome afterwards? It became Christian. It became Christian under, under Constantine. Something really changed here. Not only did Rome become Christianized, but the whole world at this moment had this great turning from pagan worship. The Aztecs quit tearing out hearts. The Germanic tribes stopped worshiping Odin. There's something about this where there was this giant inflection point and everything changed. The way Jonathan Kahn writes about it, he says, the polytheism and pantheism of the Greco-Roman world gave way to the belief in only one God The mythological consciousness of ancient paganism yielded to the word of God and to a salvation that had manifested in time and space. Myth yielded to history, and the spell of the gods were broken. The skies were no longer filled with their thrones, and the earth was no longer their haunting ground. Their names no longer inspired fear and awe. Their festivals attracted fewer and fewer worshipers. Their shrines were abandoned. Their temples left to ruin it was the twilight of the gods. He says, the frenzied possessions of pagan priests and priestesses and oracles and worshipers became an increasingly rare phenomenon. The carnal and licentious acts of pagan worship and rituals were banned from public, the public sphere and human sacrifice even became a distant memory. So today, today you can go to Israel and... You can see a lot of the old buildings and a lot of the old synagogues that were around in Jesus day you can go stand and walk in them but you go to Caesarea Philippi the pagan worship center of that area and the rock the cliff is still there but the temples that were built onto the cliff gone gone they're just a factor of history the demons had no choice but to get out The people of Jesus exercised their exousia and the demons had to go. In other words, next blank on your page, Jesus threw them out and slammed the door. Amen? The old house had fallen and a new one was being built. And the culture of the day began to be open to what seemed like revolutionary ideas at the time. You know, things like the idea that human life is actually sacred, that the individual should have rights of his own, that women were to be treated as equal heirs to the kingdom along with men. They had this crazy idea that the poor and the weak were actually created in the image of God just like the rich and the strong and the powerful. Sexuality became a sacred gift from God reserved for marriage to be honored, not to be abused by pagan worship. And children were not any longer property, but a gift from God. The Roman Empire began to be transformed. Jonathan Cahn calls it the greatest mass exorcism in world history. It was certainly never perfect, uh, but the course of history changed. And for generations, for generations, all the way up to my generation, we've lived the benefit of it. I'm not saying we got everything right, but there was definitely an inflection point and we started moving in better and better directions. And we felt it. We've lived it. We're still living the benefit of it now. But I'll bet you would agree with me that something has changed again. Something has happened once again and it seems like demon if you're if you're with me if you're about my age you probably think if you've been a christian for a long time that demon activity has been on the rise for several decades now it's been gradually increasing over time in our lifetime but especially in the last few handful of years I don't know exactly what's happened, but there's definitely been another inflection point, and something has changed. 20 years ago, I would have never dreamed that I would see in my lifetime some of the awful, nasty, disgusting perversion that I'm seeing in our culture today that you teenagers don't know any different. You don't know a time when marriage was between a man and a woman, and that's it because that's the way God defined it and intended it, and nobody thought any different. You don't know a time. You don't know a time when it was weird to be gay. Yeah, yeah, way yeah. up here in the hills, you get beat up for, for being gay, right? Yeah, you don't know a time when it was the fringe outside strangeness, because now it's so... But There's been a... Google said just last week that in the last five years... The search term, am I gay, has increased over 1300%. Something has changed. I would never believe that I could turn on my television at home and be confronted with drag queens as entertainment. I would never imagine that they would have drag queens in schools teaching kids, but they do. Something has changed. Something is different. Jesus told a parable that gives us great insight into this. It's a parable about casting out demons. And he tells this story, and I want you to look at the story carefully because Jesus wants us to learn something about what's happening right now. So let's look at what he says in Matthew. Jesus says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through the desert, the waterless places, the wilt, seeking rest, but it finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. And then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits, even more evil than itself. And they enter and they dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So you getting the picture here? Okay, so Jesus is talking about someone, I think, who is possessed by a demon, delivered from that demon, but later repossessed by that demon and a bunch of other demons, and in the end, they're worse off than they were to begin with, right? So when you glance at this parable, you think that Jesus is talking about a, an individual with that individual's demons, and he is. But Jesus shows us that this is also about something more, because he puts another sentence into this parable that we see at the very end, and I want you to look at it. Here's what he says, tells about the demon and the, and the dispossession and the repossession, and then he says, so also will it be with this evil generation. Is Jesus talking about something more than an individual here? Is Jesus talking about a personal demonic problem or is he talking about a generational demonic problem? Is Jesus talking about my issues, my spiritual warfare issues, or is he talking about a civilizational warfare that's going on? You see, normally when we think of warfare and demon activity, we think individualistically right? it says I got to put on my armor and I got to fight my demons. And that's true. But I think the Jesus perspective on this is that there's something much bigger actually going on, something generational, something civilizational happening here. Can you see it? Can you see it happening all around us right now? This nation, I don't, care what, I don't care what popular media says today, this nation was founded on biblical principles by people that believed in one God. They weren't all Christians the way we define it, but they were mostly all deists, and they believed that we had to stay in line with the authority of God in order to experience the freedom that we all deserve in Jesus' name. They knew that once we got out out of line of God's authority, then all the other oppressive authorities would pile on top of us. That's the course they set for our nation that we would be one nation under God, right? Is that who we are today? Because I look around and it seems to me that our nation has chosen a different God, a very different God. We've decided to worship money and materialism, we've decided to worship sex. entertainment we've decided to take our eyes off of the one true God and to put all of our energy and effort into any other God but him we've perverted the idea of separation of church and state which is not in the constitution but it is a core critical idea that they talked about a lot And at first it was meant to mean that the church is holy in America and the state can't say anything to the church. But now somehow it means that the state is holy and the church is nobody and the church can't have anything to say to the government or to the public. Huh? Something has changed. So because of this 40 years ago we made it illegal to pray in schools and then after that we made it illegal to display the Ten Commandments in schools and then after that we made it illegal to display the Ten Commandments on any public property in other words we've done our best to erase God from our existence as best as we can It's all about the money and the sex and the entertainment. You gotta watch YouTube and Instagram and you gotta get your social media fix and you gotta make as much money as you can and achieve as much as you can possibly achieve. But don't think about God. We've swept the house. We've removed God from the public forum altogether. And what's the result today? We allow millions of unborn children of God to be murdered. You know we talk about pagan worship detestable practices and one of the chief ones is human sacrifice. But what better example of human sacrifice than 21st century America, murdering millions of babies. We as a society, we glorify vulgarity and carnality and we've celebrated perversion and indecency. Next blank on your page, we have left the house empty and the door open. We've left the house, does it sound familiar? We've left the house empty and the door open. The psalmist in Psalm 33 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. That's where we started, but in 1630, Puritan pastor John Winthrop issued a challenge to this newly forming group of colonies that would later become the United States of America. And here's what he says He says, But if our hearts shall turn away so that we will not obey, but shall be seduced and worship and serve other gods, such as our pleasure and prophets, and if we serve them, we shall surely perish. Is that happening? I don't think anybody would argue with you that America seems to be dying. I don't know that our country is going to go away, but our soul is all but dead. Am I right? Something has changed, and I think what it is is this, the next blank on your page, the demons are back to reoccupy the house the demons have returned to reoccupy the house. You and I, we look around and we're shocked by some of the things that we see today. Right? I mean I I can't believe some of the stuff. I mean, I go back to the decision now so long ago during the Obama administration to redefine marriage and the White House being lit up with the rainbow colors. Shocked that we would dare presume to redefine what God created and define so clearly and repetitively for us. You know, I look today and I think about the riots during COVID in the inner cities and how people were killing folks and burning down cities all in the name of racial equality and nobody seemed to want to do anything about it. You know, I look around today, and Target is selling gender-concealing swimsuits for kids so that they can feel comfortable being whatever gender they want to choose at, you know, six years old. I can't believe what I'm seeing today. I can't believe the number of babies being aborted. I can't believe the fact that they are banning Bibles now in Utah. They're banning Bibles. in the news. Look it up. It's in the news this week. The reality is, the reality is that all of it seems shocking, but we should be we should be understanding of the fact that this is all the same old game plan by the same old demons pulling the same old tricks. There's nothing new here. Let me show you a couple of them. Moloch is one of the ancient demon gods. Moloch was only satisfied with human sacrifice, especially child sacrifice. So, Moloch was all about you killing your baby to worship him. That's how you worship. Think about it. We gather to worship and we sing songs and we dig into God's word and we love each other, we serve each other, we give to the kingdom. Well, that's how we worship. But the way you worship Moloch is you kill your kid. So in Carthage, they had a great bronze statue of one of the gods who was closely associated with Moloch. He was one of Moloch's little minions. I forget his name. And the bronze statue had outstretched arms like this. And remember pagan worship is all about the detestable practices so they would all have their procession they would all march together in the big parade and party in and they would come together and you're having a worship service and it's full of prostitution and gay sex and all kinds of detestable perverted activities and then the pinnacle of the worship time is when the people would bring their infants and place them in the hands of of Moloch's minion and the hands were shaped about like this they would place the baby who would then roll down the fingers and into the fiery pit below and scream the screams to Moloch in his epic poem Paradise Lost John Milton mentions Moloch he says first Moloch horrid king besmeared with blood of human sacrifice and parents tears tears Though for the noise of drums and timbrels loud, their children's cries unheard that passed through fire to his grim idol. In the 20th century, Winston Churchill compared Hitler to Moloch, right? He says in Gathering Storm, he says, He, Hitler, had conjured up the fearful idol of an all-devouring Moloch, of which he was, Hitler was the priest and incarnation Churchill said Hitler was the incarnation of Moloch. It's nothing new. It's all the same old tricks. Sacrifice the humans to the evil demon gods. Same old thing. Let me give you one more. In ancient Babylon, the procession, similar procession, a big parade for the demon goddess Inanna or Ishtar. Now, we talked a lot about Inanna when we did our study on Esther because that was a big deal back in her day. And so they would do this yearly procession um, where they would conduct pagan worship with child sacrifice, temple prostitution, and sexual perversion. And way back then, way back then, they marched with flags that had the exact same symbolic colors as the LGBTQ flag has today. It's nothing new. And they would always do this procession, this march, this this flag-wielding march in the unholy month of Tammuz. Today we call it June. It's nothing new. Nothing new. So it always happens in June, this pride march for the demon God with the sexual perversion, and then there's a song. There's an ancient Sumerian song of the parade that's been discovered, and it says this, the people of Sumer parade before you. I say, hail to Inanna, great lady of heaven. They beat the holy drum and timpani before you. They play the holy harp and timpani before you. The people of Sumer parade before you. The people of Sumer parade before you. Look at this. The women wear men's clothing, and the men wear women's clothing the ancient pre-Jesus parades of Inanna included not just sexual perversion but transsexual activity it's the same old thing it's nothing new the same demons have returned and they demand the same type of worship today that's where we are now That's why Bud Light has a trans spokesperson. That's why Target is selling those gender concealing swimsuits for kids. And they've got signs up in the store that says Satan respects pronouns. Go, go look. It's there. That's why John Crawford, he went shopping at the mall this week, because he's a big mall shopper. He loves to saunter around the mall. And he sent me pictures of the demon Satan worshiping paraphernalia that's available at the front of the stores facing into the main hallway and the books that they have about how to worship the demons and how to worship Satan right there in the mall. That's why that's there. That's why Ford has a gay raptor now. Have you seen that commercial? They got a rainbow gay raptor. They're redefining tough. That's why, this is why. It's because it's the same old demons back for the same old June worship demands. That's why this month, the LA Dodgers have invited for their entertainment, I I guess, uh, the group of transsexual gay nuns. And they come all dressed up in religious symbology and they do their show mocking God and Christians. In front of the L.A. Dodgers crowd. They're not oh, they were disinvited and then they were reinvited, and the L.A. Dodgers will not talk about it. They're just invited. So that's why all this is happening. And I know. I know some people are, are, have told me, I've heard just, oh, there's hope for us, there's hope for us because, you know, you saw the backlash against Bud Light and you saw the backlash against Target, so there's hope, but also the woke movie, Little Mermaid, the remake, opened this week and it broke all the box office records. So tell me, something has happened. God is being mocked in this nation once founded on the principles that God gave us. But Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So I believe, I believe we're in another Diocletian moment. I believe we're in another great persecution moment. And I think it could get a whole lot worse before it gets any better. Now listen, there is a day coming. There's a day coming when all of the rest of God's anger will be poured out on all of the sinners. That's not me and you, okay? God's anger's already been poured out onto Jesus for you and me, and now we have acceptance. Now we are co-heirs with Christ. But there's a day coming. Dude, that's a scary day when God finally punishes the sinners, But between now and then, the battle continues to rage. And the people that are going to turn this back around like the ones in Diocletian's day are people like me and you. It's people like me and you. Remember what Jesus said? All exousia is given to me, therefore... You now have all the exousia that I've got, I'm delegating it to you. You are a person of exousia. The same exousia that Jesus used to resist the temptation of Satan. The same exousia that Jesus used to cast out demons. The same exousia Jesus used to change the world. Now that's me and you. What are you doing, Christian? Here's what the promise he makes, the promise God makes to his people. He says, if my people, my people, if my people, not the the United States, not not Europe, not, not the culture in general, if my people, the ones who are called by my name, if they humble themselves and they pray and they seek my face and they turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin sin, and I will heal their land. Is there hope for us? Is there hope for us? Our hope is in Christ and it's in repentance. Whose repentance? Our repentance. Listen, you are the light of the world. Hard stop, end of paragraph. That's what Jesus said. You are the light of the world, but you won't share your faith with someone because you're a cowardly chicken. You're scared of what someone might think of you. Aren't you? I know, I've watched the lights come on. We got about 40 lights on. We set a goal of 150, but they've flatlined. They've stopped. And I've been talking to people. Well, you know, what you got, who you got? Oh, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I'm calling you today to repent of your cowardice. You hear me? Can anybody hear me right now? I'm calling you to repent of your cowardice. Turn from your wicked, evil, demon agreeing with cowardice. Everybody you engage with in the world out there today that's got something to say against you, they're just repeating the words of their demon gods. Why do you think you don't have the right to use the words of the one true God? You speak for God and you speak with exousia. Why are you keeping quiet and hiding your light under a bushel? Repent, repent from your wicked cowardice. Because if this is gonna turn around, it's gonna turn around by people like you and me. It's you and me. It's on us, Jesus left it with us. So repent from your cowardice and just, listen, you, you got three people, right? You got three. You've been praying that God would give you the opportunity to, to share with three, right? Yes. You got those, right? I mean, I, I know I got my three. One of them I've been meeting with on a regular basis, trying to get him. And I got another meeting with him this week for the purpose of walking through the plan of salvation with him. I told him, that's what we're doing this week. Are you, are you doing that? I got one guy who is at the gym and this guy, this guy he comes in in the mornings. I go to the gym in the morning early so I can get it over with and get. I gotta get to work. Uh, but this guy, he's, he's one of mine. He comes in. And he, just, he doesn't come to work out, he comes to talk. He just comes, he, and he's honest about it. I, I'm here, I live alone, I got nobody to talk to, I'm here to talk, and then he never t- takes a breath, he just goes. And everything is effing this and effing that, and I'm gonna show that guy what's up, and I'm gonna punch this guy's lights out, it's ugly, nasty, awful. I tell you how to shut up the talker like that, is you start asking spiritual questions. And the guy all of a sudden gotta go but I'm working on him. I'm planting seeds on him. A lot of you guys told me about your vacation plans. Maybe, maybe God is putting you on vacation to be light up against the darkness. Maybe he's putting you on that cruise ship, maybe he's putting you in Alaska, maybe he's putting you where he's putting you so that you will shine the light to somebody. Sherry and I took a cruise this past April, Uh, first cruise we'd had in a while. And we got on a boat with 2,800 other passengers, and we didn't know anyone's name. But we got on that boat and started building relationships with people. We started hanging around and talking with people, going on the excursions with them, sitting in the shows with them. And we started talking, and by the end of that week, dude, we had lit some people up. They came to us lost, and I think they left us not quite knowing Christ, but the Holy Spirit was all over them. I could see the Holy Spirit working on them because I believe that no matter where God puts me I am the light and the darkness and I do not want to be a coward about it I want to be walking and speaking in his exousia and I want to see this world change and if it's going to change it's going to be me and you this week I was in Tony's restaurant having lunch with somebody and our waitress came over and you know taking care of us and uh, we did what we normally do you probably do this too Uh, I look at the waitress and I say hey we're about to pray how can we pray for you and a lot of times that kind of knocks them a little off their game but she said well uh, my mom and I are moving into a new house this week so pray that that goes okay and we're like great we'll do that and I had something unsettled in my spirit about that You know, because sometimes you make a move like that because you're running to something, but sometimes you're running from something. And so I was just unsettled. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. So uh, we finished our lunch, and um, afterwards I went and found our waitress again uh, because I had one of these little Gideon Bibles. And I said to her, I said, look, uh, I know you're moving this week. I don't know if you have a family Bible for your home but every home ought to start with the Word of God. So I want to give you this to get your home started off on the right track. And I showed her the helps and the gospel outline, and I just showed her, you know, how this thing works. And she looked up at me with a tear in her eyes. And she says, I haven't had a Bible since I was a little girl back home. You never know when you're the light up against the darkness. So I would presume it's always. It's always. And I, I would presume to walk in the exousia that Jesus gives you. Because if this world is going to change, it's going to happen through us. That's why he put us here. In other words, last blank on your page, this war is won, one heart at a time. That's the way Jesus did it. And that's the way we do it. Listen, I know the temptation is to think that this is an electoral problem. We haven't elected the right people yet, and we'll get the Republicans in, right? But I promise you, this is not a political problem. This is a spiritual war, and our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means it's not against the politicians, no matter what side they sit on. That means it's not against the gay people and it's not against the trans people. We love all of them, but we hate the demons that have influenced our world returning to this house to reoccupy. And we are gonna stand up and in the name of Jesus, cast them out. Amen? That's what we're here for. So let's pray together. God. Make us people of exousia. Make us people of authority. Lord, you've already delegated your authority to us. You've already filled us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we have been given, your word says, everything we need to live the life that you expect us to live. Thank you for that promise, Lord. Father, give us the courage to claim it. Give us the courage to walk in it. Give us the courage to proclaim it to others so that your light can shine and so that this world can know you once again. Father, give us the power of the name and the blood of Jesus Christ, the exousia of his name, so that we can speak your name against the demonic forces all around us. And Lord, let us come back with stories to tell about how good you are in and through us.